Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood and welcome to Faith and Family. Today we're going to be talking about what's happening. And I don't mean like what's happening, dude. I mean what is really happening. What is happening in our world? I know that many of you are pondering the serious type question of why is our church, our country, and our culture so quickly slipping into a crisis? Those with eyes to see, and I assume most of you listening to Catholic Radio have eyes to see, and I include uh, our Protestant brethren who are listening to Catholic Radio, you're seeing the effects of an encroaching darkness in our world. But what we really need to discover is the cause of it. Simply seeing the effects can cause a lot of nervous reactions that may not accomplish what's hoped for. So we're going to try to determine the cause of the encroaching darkness in our world. And we're going to have a key verse from Sirach, that Old Testament book that we've been studying. But before then, I want to share with you what I consider perhaps the key verse for understanding the cause of the days of darkness. And that comes straight from the lips of Jesus as recorded in Matthew 24 and verse 37. Very simple verse, but profound. Jesus declared, as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. So, as Jesus is teaching us here, there's a vital connection between Genesis, which describes the flood in the days of Noah, and the end times. And Matthew 24, 37 is our connection to do so. Now, I realize that a lot of people <laughs> like to turn to the book of Revelation. It's like the first book of the Bible they want to study or something. And you know, I'm not opposed to studying the book of Revelation, but the key seems to be connecting Genesis with the end times, Genesis with the teaching in the book of Revelation, Genesis and connecting that with Jesus's teachings of the end times. And I'll just give it just a quick plug. I have a companion broadcast called Luke 21 Radio, which deals with biblical prophecy. And if you go to episodes 219 to 222 of that, and maybe even a couple of more, Luke 21 Radio, and you can get that on all the podcast sites, you'll see what I'm doing is connecting what's called protology, that's the study of first things, and eschatology, the study of last things. For instance, Genesis opens with a garden paradise. Go to Revelation. The Bible closes with a couple of chapters of a garden paradise. And Jesus himself, as were the days of Noah, Genesis 6, so shall be the coming of the Son of Man. So we better figure out what's going on in the days of Noah that prompted God to bring the flood, because whatever was going on is going to prompt God to bring the judgment at the end of the world as well. So we go to Genesis chapter 6 and verse 2, and we read this. 
the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were fair, and they took to wife such of them as they chose. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward. When the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them, these were the mighty men that were of old, the men of renown. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination and thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. And the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the earth, for I am sorry that I have made them. Now, many of your favorite Bible teachers are going to claim that what caused this corruption was an intermarriage between the godly line, the descendants of Seth, with ungodly women in the line of Cain. And the only problem with this is there's not another scripture to back this up. It's an inference. You can get this inference by looking at those very first words I read, the sons of God. Now, the sons of God in the Hebrew Old Testament can mean just people, men, or it can mean angels. It's a term that's used for both. So which of the two is it? Well, you know, one real easy way to get a good interpretation of this, and some of those who are saying this is intermarriage should really know better than this, but the Old Testament, when it was translated from Hebrew into Greek, and this was in a couple centuries before Christ, into the Bible that was called, the Old Testament Bible, called the Septuagint. And the Septuagint was in Greek, and so when they translated it, if the Greek would have more specific terms for a Hebrew term that could be taken two ways, then you saw how the Jews interpreted that verse before Christ. And not only that, the Septuagint was the Bible that St. Paul and Barnabas and the apostles took with them to evangelize the Roman Empire. It was the Bible of the early church. And there's no question, zero, zero question of how the Septuagint and the Bible of the early church and the Bible of the Jews at the time of Jesus understood this. It's, and I'm going to even give you the actual Greek because you're going to get this, okay? Angeloi to theou. Angeloi to theou, angels of God. They interpret sons of God as angels of God. And so when Jesus would say, as were the days of the Son of Man, the Bible they were using at the time of Jesus, or many as they went out from Jerusalem in the Great Commission, they would have understood these were angels. Okay? And then, bottom line, and this is ugly stuff, and people and maybe people who are a little too sophisticated don't like to think of such a thing could happen, but basically you have a, a, a huge violation of the order of God, and you have demons coming in, manifesting in the flesh, and having relations with women, and then it says in verse 4, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And the Nephilim were basically hybrids, uh, angelic human hybrids, and they were giants. And it says that these were the mighty men that were of old. And again, 
when you take that Hebrew, the mighty men, and translate it into the Old Testament Greek, the Septuagint, it comes out giants. These were the giants. And so it was some type of, uh, and I'm guessing here, but some type of genetic manipulation. And I, don't, I think that's a pretty educated guess, actually, which makes me very nervous to hear about genetic manipulation going on in our day. So this is what was going on. And we learn that they were basically corrupting people. They were horrible leaders. They were increasing the wickedness to the point that God had to uh, intervene with the flood. Now, again, I am going to be sharing with you scriptures, not inferences, not claims, um, not saying, oh, we don't want to believe that. No, we're going to go to scriptures that document this, okay? The book of Jude, which is the second to last book of the Bible, one chapter, Jude verse 6, says this, and the angels that did not keep their own position but left their proper dwelling have been kept by him in eternal change in the nether gloom until the judgment of the great day. In other words, these Nephilim that were leading and corrupting the earth and mankind uh, were killed in the flood, and their spirits were basically uh, put into the pit and put in chains until the last day. Now, this is very interesting, and if I hope you're following me in a Bible, if you're not driving, that is, uh, that verse 7 of Jude immediately following Jude 6 says, just as Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, if you look in your Bible, there's a semicolon dividing verses 6 and 7. This is part of the same sentence. In other words, it's talking about the angels in Genesis 6, and then it goes just as Sodom and Gomorrah, also later in Genesis, which likewise, likewise, likewise acted immorally and indulged in unnatural lust. Now, what's the connection between Genesis 6 and Sodom and Gomorrah? Genesis 6, what did you have? Angels wanting relations with women. What do you have in Sodom and Gomorrah? Men wanting relations with angels. It's similar. It's likewise unnatural lust, and it was a fundamental violation of God's order. Now, I'm just going to vent a little bit here. <laughs> I've tracked this, by the way, for uh, probably 40 years plus. Uh, and you come to even good, good Catholic study Bibles in Jude 6, and you'll say something like, this is referring to a Jewish tradition. And not a Jewish tradition in the sense of a authoritative one, but it's just kind of like it's it's second rate. Uh, don't get too riled by it. And some say a Jewish legend, or some call it a Jewish myth. In other words, it, it never happened. I want to give you now a verse from Sirach, a verse from Wisdom, verses from Numbers, verses from First Chronicles, and the ultimate conflict in the Old Testament, David and Goliath, okay? These aren't Jewish myths. 
these aren't Jewish legends that Jude 6 is based on, some of the comments that you'll read. This, some of the section headings in Catholic Bibles in Genesis 6, they're not true. These were based not on Jewish myths, but on Jewish scriptures. And these Jewish scriptures are included in the infallible canon of scripture in the Roman Catholic Church. These aren't just myths. This is the real deal. Sirach chapter 6 and verse 7 says, He was not propitiated for the ancient giants who revolted in their might. And notice the next verse of Sirach, verse 8. He did not spare the neighbors of Lot, that's Sodom, whom he loathed on account of their insolence. Note again the twin themes. A judgment on angelic human relations, verse 7, and then human angelic relations, Sodom and Genesis 6. I don't know if you've ever just read through Sirach, but you come across something like this. And if you've been kind of led astray by saying Genesis 6 or Jude 6 is just Jewish myth or legends or this or that, you don't pay much attention. What in the world would you make of Sirach 16.7? He was propitiated, not propitiated by the ancient giants when they revolted. This was a revolt against heaven. This was a violation of God's divine order, and they knew what they were doing. They knew they were sinning grievously. Well, the folks who were reading Sirach, the Jews originally, this was written before the times of Christ, knew who the giants were. They understood perfectly who the giants were in Genesis 6, where they came from. And remember, Sirach was the book of the Old Testament, the only book of the Bible in, in to be nicknamed the church book. The church book is the nickname of the book of Sirach. And when the early church, particularly the early, early church, composed of Jews, they knew exactly what went on in Genesis 6. This was, this was their understanding of Genesis 6. And then when the early church went out into the Roman Empire and they really used Sirach to disciple pagans to be faithful disciples of Jesus Christ using this book. They used the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament, and it lined up perfectly. Angels were involved in Genesis 6, fallen angels, and when their offspring, the giants, uh, God was furious with, because here's just in a nutshell what was going on. In order to be redeemed, Jesus had to fully become man to become our redeemer, had to become one of us. And you start with these hybrids and start spreading it through the world. How can there be a redemption? This is very serious stuff. Now, the book of wisdom, if you go in the Old Testament, which is the cousin book to Sirach, they're right next to each other, both wisdom literature, uh, both from roughly the same periods, maybe wisdom a little later, Wisdom 14 and verse 6 says this, Even in the beginning, when the arrogant giants were perishing, the hope of the world took refuge on a raft, that's the ark, and guided by thy hand, left to the world the seed of a new generation. Basically, how to purify the genetic stock of the human race. Okay, now, 
uh, Satan uh, knew God's purposes to bring forth the seed of the woman, a Messiah, a Redeemer, and he knew that it would take place in Israel, the Holy Land. But when uh, Moses brought the children of Israel to the borders of the Holy Land and sent Joshua, Caleb, and the 12 spies in to spy out the land, it wasn't a Holy Land. Satan had tried the same trick he tried in Genesis 6. And when the spies came back after they saw what they were up against in the military combat within the unholy land, this is what's recorded in Numbers 13. And how can you make sense of this without Genesis 6? I'm not sure. But in any case, here it is, Numbers 13, 32. So they brought to the people of Israel an evil report of the land, which they had spied out saying, the land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw are men of great stature. What's, what's a man of great stature called a giant? And we saw there the Nephilim. This is the word from Genesis 6. And we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers. In other words, these were huge, powerful, genetic mutants here again, trying to defeat the purpose of God. This is part of the warp of understanding of what's going on in the battle for the Holy Land and in the early church as well. And this was the big conflict. Going a little further, now we come to David and Goliath. And we need to realize David and Goliath isn't just a, a, a Bible study for little kids about a little guy who beat a big guy up. But David and Goliath is foreshadowing the spiritual warfare and the conflict between Jesus and Satan and the forces of darkness. So everything surrounding David and Goliath, we need to pay attention to. Would you believe that the whole account of David and Goliath is related to Genesis 6. You may have never heard that before, but there was an infestation of leftover Nephilim from the days of David, and Goliath was one of the giants left over after the flood. Let me give you a context. This is before David and Goliath, but it's from 1 Chronicles 20 and verse 4. And it says, after this, there arose a war with the Philistines, and the Philistines were the big enemies of God. And one of David's men slew Sippai, who was one of the descendants of the giants, and the Philistines were subdued. What are you supposed to make of this when it just says a descendant of the giant? If you were a Jew and your understanding of what the Old Testament's about, you don't have misleading comments in a study Bible or a misleading section title in another Bible, you would know exactly what he's talking about. This was like the descendant of the giants. And when he slew this descendant of the giant, says the Philistines were subdued. The next verse, 1 Chronicles 20 and verse 5. There was war again with the Philistines, and another of David's men slew Lami, the brother of Goliath. You see, Goliath wasn't the only one running around, wasn't the only. Here is the brother of Goliath, and says, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. 
Now, I don't know exactly how big a weaver's beam was, but it's trying to say this is a huge spear because he was a huge man, a giant. And then verse 6, we go to the third account. There was war again at Gath, and there was a man of great stature. What does that mean? A giant who had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in number, and he was also descended from the giants. Now, if you're just reading this, and you think Genesis 6 is about intermarriage, how, how do you get this? But if you see that there were genetic mutants as a result of Genesis 6, and you see now, leading up to this David and Goliath conflict, that there's other giants, not just Goliath, and some of them were mutants in effect that, you know, not most people go around with six fingers and six toes on each hand and each foot, okay? And it says, these were descended from the giants in Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. This was an ongoing spiritual warfare, and these were the ones that were in the world corrupting mankind. They taught warfare. They taught the arts of seduction to women, also happened to teach them how to do abortion and false worship. So all of this was from these, and it, it just didn't go away with the flood. They Satan used the same thing in the unholy land. And then finally, in 1 Samuel 17, we have the conflict of David and Goliath prefiguring the conflict of Jesus and Satan and the forces of darkness. It says in 1 Samuel 17, 4, there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath. Uh, Goliath was from Gath, this nest of Nephilim, descendants from the hybrids from the flood. And this is just a sampling of scriptures in the Old Testament that would probably just make no sense if you took Genesis 6 as intermarriage versus a gross violation of God's divine order. The other thing to kind of keep in mind is that in the centuries before Christ, there was a very popular writing called Enoch, First Enoch. And at the time of Jesus, First Enoch would be as common as sliced bread. It would be like today, Pilgrim's Progress or The Imitation of Christ, a very popular, very widely known book. Well, remember, I started with Jude, verse 6. The angels didn't keep their first position. Well, remember, Jude, just one chapter. Further down in that same chapter of Jude in verse 14, Jude says, and it was of these that Enoch, quoting chapter 1 of First Enoch, says, behold, the Lord came with his only marriage to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of their deeds. So Jude was quoting First Enoch, which is the most extensive extra-biblical piece of literature describing what happened in Genesis 6. This, this is just the worldview, the framework, the cultural, historical, and biblical understanding of a first-century Jew. So when Jesus says, as were the days of Noah, 
so will be the coming of the Son of Man. From the lips of Jesus, we have the connection between Genesis and the end times. We have the connection between the gross violation with the fallen angels in Genesis 6 and their mutant offspring that corrupted mankind to such a degree that God had to put an end to it. And remember, the flood in the Old Testament was prefiguring the, the judgment by fire at the end of time in the New Testament. These things are connected. And where was the source of the darkness? Well, we know where it came from came from dark spirits corrupting mankind. It didn't come from intermarriage, and I'm not into intermarriage, but that's not what that text is talking about. So here we are now. We've explored what the days of Noah were like, and this is just, I mean, it took all this broadcast to get here, but this is where the apostles, when they heard Jesus say in Matthew 24, 37, as were the days of Noah, they had that. And then he said, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. There's going to be similarities between the two. And so much of our world, Protestant and Catholic today, too much of our Protestant and Catholic worlds, don't have a, 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 an understanding of Genesis 6. And so you're wondering, what's going wrong with our world? What's causing the darkness? And our next episode, which will be 356, will be devoted to getting down to that root cause of our darkening world based upon our understanding of the days of Noah. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 355 of Faith and Family Radio. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org to learn more about Catholic family life.